WGNS Murfreesboro, W270AF Murfreesboro, W263AI Murfreesboro, Smyrna. The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Scott Walker. Right now, that time, 818, you're listening to WGNS. And, uh, you know, whenever I push that music, I never know what's going to play. And it sounds like cheesy, I don't know, 80s dance music or something right now. Anyway, so in studio with us this morning to talk about lawns, gardens, and the weather we've been having, we have Agriculture Extension Agent Justin Stefanski. Hey, you know, if you could only get in your car and just push a button and hear random music, wouldn't that be fun? It would, wouldn't it? <laughs> Make every day exciting. Surprising. Huh? That's right. <laughs> so what what's going on lately and uh, what's happening with the weather? Are you guys getting a lot of calls about the weather? Because, man, it was like 26, 25 degrees, what, last night? It was. It was real chilly, yeah. I'm out in Rockvale here in the county, and it was 26 at my house yesterday morning. Uh, yeah, people are concerned because if you remember back a few weeks ago, we were close you know close to 80 degrees so all of our shrubs and trees are starting to leaf out and bud out uh you know a lot of things were starting to just come back to life and people are concerned about these freezes we're having and it's always a risk here in tennessee i've lived here for close to 30 years and it seems like every year we have a later freeze after things have already budded out and leafed out uh, and it can cause some serious problems for folks so yeah if people have been calling they're concerned um, you know luckily for us the freeze hasn't been real bad so 26 is, is cold but it's not a killing freeze for things at this point i don't know if you remember it was probably back in Oh, it was 2008 or 2009, we had a, uh, uh, an Easter freeze, and the spring was extremely mild that year, and we had two or three nights of like 15 or 16 degrees, and it killed trees and shrubs completely. Now, this was an April freeze, so that's always the big risk, is if things have already leafed out, budded out, all their reserved energy that they've stored up from the previous season is spent in just putting out new growth we get those hard freezes they don't have anything left in the gas tank to to flush out new growth and that year landscapers and nurseries benefited quite significantly because a lot of things died I, so. I, I bet again in studio with us this morning agriculture extension agent justin stefanski and if anybody has any questions feel free to call in or text us those questions at 615-893-1450 and we do already have one question here and it, it's not really related to lawns and gardens, but I, I see why they're asking it. It says, I go fishing, or I love to go fishing, and I wanted to know if it would be safe to dewinterize my boat because it's currently winterized. Are we going to have more freezes? So I, I guess they're asking because they want to hit the lake, but... Nope. They don't want to have to re-winterize their boat all over again. So the question, are we going to have more freezes? Most likely, yes. Uh, that's just the reality here in, in the mid-state here and in, in the springtime. Uh, you know, I, I tell folks, especially when they talk about planting gardens, you know, people those first couple of warm days in March, they're like, well, I'm going to go start my tomato seeds, and then they're going to put plants in the ground on April 1st. Well, those folks will be replacing their tomatoes. So my rule of thumb is April 15th is our last freeze date. That's what I tell people. Now, I've been proved wrong by that before. You know, some years I say, you know, if you really want to be safe, you know, May 1st. Now, that's that's really far out for boats, you know. Yeah. But 
if we are, if you're going to ask me, we're going to have another freeze. I'm going to say yes, and I'll probably be right. So just keep that in mind. It's it's kind of wild because it has been a long time. At least I think it's been a pretty long time since we've had such up and down weather. I mean, the start of this winter was really mild, very mild. Then all yeah. of a sudden. You know, what was it in January or was it towards the end of December? We had like, you know, zero degrees outside. Christmas Eve uh, at my house, it was negative one degrees actual temp, negative 12 wind chill. Uh, That's the coldest temperature that I've ever seen living here since 1995. So that was such an odd one-off thing. Now, it happens, but it's very infrequent. So, yeah, we started off with a bang, and then the temperatures were mild. And I don't think we had – I think I had one other little light dusting of snow on my deck after Christmas Eve, maybe a few days later, and that was it for us. And if you think back the last several seasons, we've had pretty good snowfalls uh, two or three times each year. This year, we just didn't have anything. So it's been a very odd winter for us. So I I wonder, is there a chance we could still get snow? I mean, what are we, March 16th right now? I mean, could we still get it? I certainly think so. Yep. You know, if we get the right atmospheric conditions, we get the right level of moisture in the air, and then we get the temperatures dropping, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't rule it out completely. Now, I'm not a meteorologist, but I, I certainly think that it's still in that window of time where we could see a little light dusting. There has definitely been a shift in the weather over the years. I, I mean, you hear people talking about climate change all the time, but it, it, it we are seeing evidence of, of things changing, and it's almost as if... You know, some of the weather that Florida used to see is moving closer to us, and then all of a sudden we have these freezes, and it throws it all off. So, I I mean, what's happening? You know, we're seeing weather extremes, and they're going to become more common. That's all the research that I'm seeing and hearing, you know, our rain events. Think about summer last year, June, it was extremely dry for at least two or three weeks. I don't think we had a drop of rain. And then we had just a deluge of rain in late June and early July. And seemingly that's going to become more of our pattern. It's going to be weather extremes where you've got either periods of drought and then extreme rainfall. And those rain events are becoming more heavy. Each time we get a big rain and a flood, it seems like every time we have a a prolonged rain forecast, two or three days, I'm getting flood warnings on my phone routinely. So the patterns are definitely, the weather is more inconsistent, but it's very consistent in its extremes from one to the other. And that seems to be the trend and I don't think that's gonna change. Hey, I'm curious, have have you done any research or read anything about, uh, you know, shifts in, in climate zones where, you know, one climate zone is moving closer to this climate zone and they're all being pushed in different directions yeah about i guess it was probably 10 or 15 years ago we actually were upgraded to a warmer climate zone uh, and that's the usda hardiness zones is what you're referring to and those maps are basically temperature averages high and lows and that's where they can categorize different geographic regions based on those temps so we actually moved into a warmer zone um you know this the data that they took from that i think started in uh, 1976 and it went up until the early 2000s that's how they they procured that information so I, I guarantee you that that same study is taking place now and that map will be updated probably in the next 10 years or so those updates will happen and it would not shock me in the least if we didn't get bumped up to an even warmer zone and I'm sure these are things that uh, you know they're out of our control first of all but they're things that just happen over time I mean we we weren't here 2000 years ago so yeah. we don't know exactly what the weather was like 2000 years ago here in tennessee we can get ideas by uh, you know archaeologists digging and, and understanding different depths of, of, of the soil i guess but w- we don't really know what temperatures were like two or three thousand years ago here i would say it's a good guess to guess that they were a lot cooler 
you know but like you said we don't know specifics but we were pretty sure that things were pretty cool and mild uh but yeah you know no one was here to, to know they've done dendrochronology studies where they can look at tree rings and they can tell based on the growth of a tree ring if that was a drought year or if that was a, a flood year so but there's very few 2000 year old trees on the eastern half of the united states so it's a lot harder for us to guesstimate here versus maybe out west where they've got things like bristlecone pines and the giant sequoias that are in those thousands of year age ranges we just don't have those trees here hey, and theoretically could they go to some of those petrified forests out west and actually count rings that are on trees that well they're now rocks basically but could, could they count those rings and get a better understanding further back absolutely and i think they've done just that you know i was actually out west in arizona last may and i went to uh, petrified forest national park there in arizona and it was it was phenomenal to see the preservation of these trees that were we're talking 7500 million year old logs that were completely petrified and turned to stone but you could still make out individual rings and you could tell these rings there were groups that were closer together and rings that were farther apart and it's just a it's it's a it's a fingerprint of what happened in the environment during that time time uh, that that tree was alive it's pretty phenomenal arizona is an interesting area and they too have seen changes in their weather uh, but you know there's parts of arizona that were formed by volcanoes you know however yes. many million years ago but it's fascinating to go to those different areas because I think you get a better understanding of where you live, too. I love talking about the physiographic regions of Tennessee, going back to what happened millions of years ago. And when I reveal to folks that the limestone that you see out in your backyard that you clip with your lawnmower and have to dig up to plant anything in your gardens, that limestone is the ancient seafloor of a 450 million year old shallow sea. So your backyard 450 million years ago in Murfreesboro looked like the Caribbean. And, and people are always just completely blown away by that. And I show them fossils that I've dug up out of my own yard and other areas around here. And it really is incredible that that geology still exists. Now, Middle Tennessee actually was a mountain range at one point, and it has been eroded away. So what was here, you know, we were actually the high point in the state. All that's left now is this ancient seafloor. It's called the Ordovician Sea. Uh, you don't have to remember that, but I'm just a real geek, <laughs> and I love stuff like that. But, you know, if you've ever looked closely at the fossils that we have here, you know, we've got seashells. We've got ancient sea creatures and, uh, you know, lots of different brachiopods, cephalopods, and it really is phenomenal. And, and you know, and, and from what I understand and, and have read, uh, like in Arizona, Grand, parts of the Grand Canyon, you know, that's the Pacific Ocean basically started there and, and then, then moved out towards Hawaii, yeah. I, I guess, you know, and then levels started slowly going down over time, the water levels, the sea levels to form what we see today and and just like in tennessee so yes. it, it it really is interesting incredible. yeah and have people brought in fossils they and have. stuff to the it's action one of my center? favorite things is i had a, a lady with her children that came in last fall and her daughter was uh, lowered into a sinkhole uh and she found this crazy looking fossil and they lowered the daughter and she grabbed it and she brought it in and i thought this is just so cool that i get to answer <laughs> questions about fossils retrieved from sinkholes and it was the uh it was the remains of just a chunk of fossilized uh, i think there was some coral in there seashells and maybe a cephalopod but uh you know i highly encourage you if you've got a fossil bring it into the office i would love to look at it uh, i can show you my fossils and I, I always like talking about rocks there are a lot of sinkholes a lot of caves in rutherford yes. county and a lot of folks who uh, well for example you, you were saying you live out in rockville a lot mm -hmm. of folks who 
are not from here and who haven't been to Rockvale, they don't know about all the different cave systems. Yes, Rockvale is, is pretty well known for many different, you know, we have karst topography and Rockvale is a, is a prime example of that. And that's where the limestone slowly erodes away. There's softer portions of it. The acidic water erodes the limestone. And in Rockville, we've got big caverns and caves. And just about every farm in Rockville probably has a sinkhole. I know I've got several in my backyard that give it a couple thousand years, and I'll have a serious cave system going on there. <laughs> and then there's also underground water systems, you know, all over Tennessee, but specifically that go right under Rockville. Oh, yeah. Huge underground aquifers. You know, we're very fortunate here where we live in the eastern half of the United States that we have that underground water reserves. Uh, and again, that water is, it's been there for sometimes in millions of years it's been there. So it's not going anywhere. It, it's pretty pretty cool. It is. I mean, the, the research, the, the stuff that you can learn right here in our own backyard. It's phenomenal. Again with us this morning, we have Justin Stavansky with the Agriculture Extension Service of Rutherford County. And we'll take your calls or your text at 615-893-1450. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back. If I could talk to the animals. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City. One of the best things about coming to Animal City is the knowledgeable and caring staff. Animal City offers gift cards in any denomination. When you stop in to see us at Animal City, make sure to explore all two stories of our wonderful pets and pet supplies. This is Amanda, inviting your family to come in and do business with my family. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Tire World's annual at-cost tire sale is back. Now through Saturday, we will be selling all tire brands with no markup. In addition, there will also be manufacturer rebates on brands such as Michelin, Cooper, and General as well. With these rebates, you're now getting tires less than cost. This is the biggest sale we have, so if you know you need tires, this is the time to do it. Call Tire World today. You will not want to miss this one-week-only tire sale. Tire World, we keep your family rolling. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Please come and see us for all your garden needs. We have everything you need to help that garden grow, and we also have what you need for landscaping and your lawns. We have black and brown mulch in bulk. Please come see us. And as always, don't forget us for all your gifts, clothing, and pet needs. This is Tina Fox. Your Co-op Farm and Home Center is located at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Right now that time, 8.33 again with us this morning, Justin Stefanski, and he is an agriculture extension agent right here in Rutherford County. What What is the most interesting thing that you've seen somebody bring by the extension agency? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, one of my favorites that I talk about all the time is I had a lady. I was an agent in Wilson County for six years from 2010 to 2016. And one day I come in and there's a jar on my desk of baby food, baby food jar. The lid is off the jar. 
and I look closely, and there's bugs in this jar. And I look a little closer, and I realize it's a jar full of bed bugs oh, that were nice. unlidded on my desk. And I thought, well, isn't that fantastic? And she didn't know what they were. Uh, another time, someone brought me in an entire Nandina, Firepower Nandina. It was a you know two-foot-wide, three-foot-tall shrub, and it had been chewed down to a nub. It almost looked like a perfect point. And voles live in our landscape beds. They're, they're similar... They're like moles, but they don't feed on grubs. They feed on roots. And they had dug this entire plant up, put it in a Kroger bag, and set it plumb in the center of my desk. And I thought, well, that is just just neat. <laughs> so you just never know what you might come back to. When I go out on the road and I come back, you never know. There's always some some level of a, of a plant decaying leaf or a twig or stem. So it's always fascinating. So, so whatever became of the bed bugs, did it infest the whole place? I'm not sure. The lady actually bought a used mattress, which is probably a big no-no number one. Yeah. Uh, and she basically was, I told her they're bed bugs and this is what you need to do. And I never heard back from her. So I can only assume that she either got rid of the mattress or got rid of the bed bugs or both. So. I, I've always heard bed bugs are next to impossible to get rid of and obviously horrible. Yeah, they're not nice, and they are, they'll, they'll suck your blood, and they'll leave lesions on your body, and they're pretty pretty tough to get rid of, so I don't recommend buying used mattresses. That, that, that's no fun at all. No, absolutely not. <laughs> so in, in going back to the geography of Tennessee, and really the geography here in Middle Tennessee, because our area, the rocks are a little different from compared to East Tennessee, Knoxville, Chattanooga. Yes. I, I mean, we do have different types of rocks. we got the limestone, whereas... Cookville may have the the crab orchard looking rock, the orange colored rock. So why why is there such a change from Middle Tennessee to East Tennessee? Well, part of it has to do with what's left. So initially we had the same rocks probably as the entire state. Now Tennessee is unique in the fact that it is such a long state. It covers a huge portion of geologic history that is represented in the rocks. Now there are areas up in the Appalachian mountain chains that are close to 4 billion year old rock and it's more of a metamorphic type rock that limestone or the granite, I'm sorry, and those sparkly rocks, they have more of a mineralization to them, but you know, here in Middle Tennessee, you know, we've got some sandstone, we've got some other uh, shales and things like that, but our predominant geologic feature is that limestone. Now there are it's amazing to me how many different types of limestone there are. I don't think people realize that there are so many different classifications. So there's Ridley, Stones River, and there, I could go on and on and on. So geologists really have pinpointed, hey, this limestone isn't like that limestone, and it's not like that limestone. Now, how they know that, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not that smart to know. But uh, it, it really is incredible to me that what we have left over, though, is that that sea floor from 450 million years ago. Now you get into West Tennessee toward Memphis, there are soils there that are less than a million years old. Uh, and essentially it really ranges from a couple, you know, let's say 20, 30,000 year old soils all the way up into the Appalachians, which you could have rocks in the billions of years old. So Tennessee is such a unique state and that it covers such a wide geographic area. Now, I, I was recently in the, uh, what is it, the New Madrid area, uh, Union City, Tennessee, yeah. Dyersburg area, where there is a huge earthquake fault line and it is predicted that someday that's there's going to be another earthquake sooner than later i'm curious will it be felt in middle tennessee and and how will limestone be affected by that earthquake i would say yes we will feel it if it's anything like it was back and i'm not exactly sure of the dates but when a real foot lake 1811 or 1800s yeah so real foot lake was the result of it and the mississippi river flowed backwards for days so that was the result of the last time that we had a major earthquake here if we think about that that is mind-blowing the amount of uh, movement that took place to, to make the mississippi river flow backwards that's scary it is so i guarantee we'll feel it here now how 
how will it affect our limestone? I'm not sure. I think we'll definitely have some collapsing, some more cave-ins, and I think that you know our soil is like Swiss cheese, or I'm sorry, our rocks are like Swiss cheese. So if there is an unstable portion, I think absolutely it could be affected. So. I'd say we'll see a whole lot more sinkholes if something like that was to happen. And in that area, basically, it's the line that follows the state of Tennessee downward. Uh, it, it supposedly is so deep that scientists, you know, they, they haven't even gotten deep enough to see what could happen to yeah. further explore it. But from what I understand, if that earthquake does occur again, it could literally go down towards to the core of the earth. It, it, it very well could, yeah, and that's the scary thing. We don't know enough to know, you know, and, and we're long overdue. You know, geologists, I've been hearing it for years, uh, you know, we're, we're due for something to happen. And now we do have rumbles that happen occasionally here in Tennessee. I think it happens every few years where you'll look at the news headlines and you'll see, uh, you know, a small magnitude earthquake was felt in parts of the state, east and west Tennessee. So, you know, we think that we're isolated from those type of events, but we really aren't. So it's just part of what we could be seeing in our future. Somebody just texted there was an earthquake in east Tennessee around the Chattanooga area earlier last year that was 2.1 in magnitude and about they're saying two miles down. I, I don't know how they calculate that, but I know whenever they rate an earthquake, they tell you exactly how deep it was. At least Earthquake Research Center does, so I, I can't imagine two miles down. That That's mind-blowing. It, it's hard to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if you look at, at that, and if that's correct, if, if an earthquake was actually it developed two miles under the Earth, that means that if the New Madrid area, for example, if we had a massive earthquake there and the Earth cracked apart, you could literally see two miles down into yeah. the Earth. You know, that could be a layer that's 100 miles deep that we don't even know about. You know, that rock goes down a long way. Yeah. Uh, And it it really is a a serious concern. You know, people don't think about it, but it's something that absolutely could happen. You could wake up in the middle of the night. I remember as a child, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and there was just a a single rumbling that took place one evening. It was an earthquake. You know, that's just what it was. And I'll never forget it. I was three or four. I was in my bed. The entire house shook for about five seconds and I had no idea what it was. My parents were, they played it off like champs and they said, oh, just go back to sleep. And then years later I was like, yeah, that was an earthquake. And I did research and sure enough, it was an earthquake. And it, I think about it now and I've been a whole heck of a lot more scared as an adult than I was as a four-year-old in my crib. So, And then when you think about earthquakes being, you know, extremely deep, deeper than what we've ever seen in our lifetime, you're, you're talking about earthquakes that could reach the magna in, in, in the earth Uh, so then you got the risk of what could a volcano occur because of an earthquake in tennessee of all places we'd hope not yeah i was in hawaii two years ago and and mauna loa and mauna kea just started to flow and i'd actually seen it twice now with magma flowing and to see that force of nature occurring i I sure don't want to see it in tennessee yeah is there any evidence or has anyone brought the ag center any evidence of of rocks being found in tennessee that look like they could be tied to a a volcano at some point no i haven't seen anything like that now what you're looking for is something like obsidian would be a volcanic type rock or basalt you know so we don't have anything that i've seen here or people have brought in so as of right now i don't think that's a, a serious concern but it's not out of the realm of possibility because that fault line is so deep that who knows what could happen you think about places like yellowstone you know yeah. they've been monitoring yellowstone for for decades now and that to me seems like the biggest risk that we face here and that could affect the entire world you know there's a huge underground magma lake essentially that's why they have the geysers and things like that 
and they they're hopeful that that stays stable because if it ever decides that it's going to blow they said it could be catastrophic well you know you've got places like hot springs arkansas where there are natural hot springs and people actually get in them but that heat is generated from somewhere very deep in the earth and and that's got to make you ask is there an earthquake potential in, in hot springs arkansas there's something going on under the ground yeah. there, right? That thermo heat that's coming out of the ground, uh, you know, there's obviously something happening. So I think that the entire, anywhere along that Mississippi corridor and that New Madrid fault line, I think that, you know, it could happen in our lifetime. It, it, it's scary to think about. And, and, you know, when blasting takes place in, in places like Rutherford County, you can feel it for like a mile away. Absolutely. And I think it's because of that layer of limestone that we have. I think, I don't know if it conducts, uh, you know, earthquakes the same way that the rock relates to it in in Arizona or somewhere, but for some reason, you can feel it. It just reverberates through that because there's so many pore spaces that that shock wave travels, and I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, if you've ever been around a blasting site, you you absolutely, it'll rattle your windows, it'll rattle your brains, it's not pleasant. Now, the scary thing about limestone, though, it it literally cracks and breaks in half, whereas other rock, it it may be able to withstand some shaking. Yeah, limestone is less, let's say, less forgiving than some other rocks, just because of its structure, whereas other rocks have more of a plasticity to them. Limestone will just shatter, so, you know, that's always a concern. And here in Middle Tennessee, do people often bring in, I know you said fossils sometimes, but do people just bring in rocks saying, I've got a lot of this in my backyard, I, I don't know what it is. They do. A lot of folks that are from other areas of the country that are moving here, you know, they, they're not familiar with this beautiful gray rock that we call limestone. Uh, and, and, you know, in a lot of places, that's all they have. They may have a couple inches of dirt or soil, you know, whatever you may classify it as, and then you've just got straight limestone. Uh, and I routinely get bags of of rocks or you know a lot of my master gardeners and interns will bring me in little rock samples and what's going on here i said well that's the the remnants of a 450 year old ancient seafloor so i try to sell it to them in a positive way but the reality of it is a lot of folks just don't have a lot of soil depth here in middle tennessee well speaking of soil we had a text here and the person was asking they said they moved from the barfield area to the thompson lane area recently and they built a new house and there's nothing but red mud or red clay all around the house and Mm. they're going to try to grow grass this year i guess but they're asking what can they do with this red clay because it's not the same dirt they had just on the other side of town yep so the red clay is just a it's it's got a lot of iron in it that's what gives it its red color and it's lacking organic matter so organic matter is the broken down leaf litter and sticks and twigs and debris so where they were probably at in barfield they had a lot more vegetative mass that was in the soil gives it that richer brown color so you know clay soil is not inherently bad soil it just has different properties and grass prefers a softer soil for that root zone to grow so if they've got very hard clay and it dries out and it's like concrete you know what you what you can consider doing is doing a core aeration you can rent the machine called the core aerator it actually takes a plug of soil out you could do that in the spring and the fall and then you can go in and top dress you can either add topsoil uh, screen topsoil you can add they sell the peat moss in compressed cubes basically you want to add in some type of organic matter to that top layer of soil so that's where that root zone of the turf is and that's what it will need to really thrive so uh, those are a few things that you can do you know once or twice a year so you can still grow good grass in this 
red clay. You just got to mix some other stuff into it. Yep. I mean, you can grow grass right in clay. Now, certain species will do better than others. But on, on average, though, adding some organic matter usually will be a, a huge benefit. You, you know, that red clay, it, it stains everything. That, it definitely uh, does. Regular mud, it seems like it usually washes out. But that red clay... Don't kneel down in khaki pants if you're yeah. pulling weeds in red clay because you will always have red knee prints on your khakis. I've learned that the hard way many times. It, it really is interesting how we can have a totally different type of dirt in one area versus Barfield. And, yeah. and when you look at Barfield, it's a lot like Rockville. There's a lot of rock in, in Barfield. In my yard alone, so I have two acres, I have three different soil types. I got the soils map out and I looked at it. So the first part of my property is nothing but rocks. It's a slope. It's basically the side of a hill. The middle part of the yard is, is bigger rocks, but there's some pockets. And in the back end of the property, it actually leads down to the headwaters of the Harpeth River. So that was a historic floodplain. And I have dug down already five, six feet, you know, doing different projects and haven't hit a pebble. So even in my own yard in Rockville, there's such a huge uh, just difference between go 100 yards one way or 100 yards another way and it's it's a drastic change uh we have a question here and it's about hendersonville it says hendersonville is loaded with fossils that you can't find in murphy's bro uh, why is that so hendersonville is you know you know uh, geographically is a little different area so we're in the central basin hendersonville's up on kind of where we would call the uh the plateau almost or not the plateau but they call it the um Oh, the word has escaped me, but it's a different physiographic region. So basically, you're going up in elevation, so the ground there is actually younger in age. So you're looking at rocks here that are 450 million years old, whereas Hendersonville, you might have rocks that are 350 million years old. So that's a, that's a big chunk of time there in the, in the evolution of plants and animals. So the, the fossils there will be different, you know, and if you go farther west into Tennessee, you know, we've got areas of still the Triassic and Triassic uh, Jurassic fossils. So it really is a matter of how old those rocks are based on what plants and animals were living at that time. So theoretically, here in our area of Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, we should be able to find fossils that, that are a lot older than fossils in Hendersonville. Absolutely, yeah. So our, our plant and animal life here, again, it was just the seafloor. So we've got primitive sea creatures. We've got similar things to like horseshoe crabs. Everybody knows what a horseshoe crab is, but there were a lot of creatures like that. There were other things that were like hard-shelled squids. So they actually had a hard-shelled body with tentacles, lots of brachiopods. So oysters, uh, clams, things like that, anything with a shell. Now you get up into those areas like around Middle Tennessee into that, that uh, again, I cannot remember the name of that physiographic region. It will, I'll remember it as soon as I leave the studio, but you know those those plant animals there they're farther they're further evolved so you may actually have other plant species you may actually start getting some deciduous tree species because at that time the shallow sea was starting to recede so there actually was solid ground up in those northern uh, portions of tennessee so uh, and you might actually find some small uh, vertebrate fossils and maybe some fish as well so because this area was older under the sea maybe longer could you find sometimes much larger creatures or fossils of creatures in this area versus Hendersonville? Um, I don't know if that's generally a rule of thumb if there'd be larger here. Most of the creatures that we had here in, t in Middle Tennessee were small comparatively to our current sea creatures because you got to remember 450 million years ago these animals were just starting their evolutionary process so there, there wasn't anything that was super big. You know the biggest thing I think that I know of was a was a cephalopod that was maybe a few feet long. So they were still pretty small on average. So actually in those soils around Hendersonville, that's when you may have actually been able to find some of those larger fish and other creatures that were actually 
starting to show some size at that time. So they actually may have the jump on us in being able to find something a little bigger. So another question we have here, where is a good place to find trilobites? Trilobites are hard to find, let me tell you right now. Um, well, I have first of all, what, what is a trilobite? A trilobite looks like an ancient horseshoe crab, essentially. It was a, a hard shell. That's what you were talking about it, a yes, second ago. Yes, okay. exactly. And there were, I mean, here in Middle Tennessee, we probably had, I mean, again, I'm not a paleontologist, but we probably had at least 10 different species of trilobites. So they were ranging in size from like a golf ball all the way up to maybe the size of your hand. Now, I have found chunks and pieces of trilobites. Now, I've never found a whole one. You know, where can you find them? So pretty much anywhere where there's limestone. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the coolest spots to go to in Rutherford County is the Walter Hill Dam. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go there and take rocks because you're not supposed to, but... You know, I'm not telling you that if you see a trilobite that you should leave it there. Uh, Walter Hill Dam is a unique spot geologically. Uh, it just, there's there's a lot of surface layers that were eroded away there. And every time I go down there, I'm going to see some type of a fossil. So that's a great area. Anywhere along the Stones River, if you see a gravel bar, check those out. Um, anywhere where there's a road cut. Now, I have seen MTSU classes out where 452 is by the Nashville Super Speedway. Yeah. And they wear orange vests, and they get out there with their rock hammers, and that is... You know, again, I'm not telling you to risk your life to go out there and look at fossils on the side of the road. But again, anywhere where there's a road cut where they've cut into that limestone layer, odds are there's probably something laying on the ground there. And there's a lot of air, layer or areas in Middle Tennessee where the Department of Transportation has come through and literally cut uh, mountains in half yep. or hills in half. And, and you can see those layers of rock. It is really fascinating. It is. And you know what makes it even more fascinating is when I take pictures of those road cuts, I show folks the top layer that may be just a, a matter of inches deep and all of the plant life that exists on top of what is just hundreds of feet of rock. So we have such a unique, we call it a biome here, the cedar glade biome, and, and people don't really appreciate how unique those plants are, that they've been adapted to grow in that dusty, uh, trashy soil that's a, a mere inch layer or two on top of that uh, rock. It's pretty incredible. And there is a whole lot of rock all over Middle Tennessee, all over Rutherford County. It, it seems like it would be a, a safer place to build a house or, or you know because you're building on rock basically but then you have the problems of uh you, you know the soil testing and and then you have the other issue of uh the, the septic system yeah the perking is a big issue yeah just areas to to have that filtration and infiltration so yeah you may have 30 acres but you know you can only put one house on it and that seems to be the case so many times as people will buy property before they have it tested or perked and they realize that they can build a 1200 square foot house on 30 acres just because there's no <laughs> there's no ground to build a, a septic or have any type of infiltration and of course anybody listening they can bring soil samples by the agriculture extension office they can bring uh, fossils by Absolutely. there whatever bring me some rocks i'd really enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> and for anybody who doesn't know where the agriculture extension office is it's on john r rice boulevard just down the street from Sam's Wholesale Club. Yep, 315 John R. Rice Boulevard. We've got demonstration gardens out back. We've got the farmer's market starting on May 12th. So if you come by the farmer's market right across from there, you'll see a pavilion, and our master gardeners have wonderful demonstration areas there. We've got raised bed gardens. We've got ponds. We've got rain gardens. So come out and see us. We'd really appreciate a visit. Sounds good. Again, Justin Stefanski has been our guest today from the Rutherford County Agriculture Extension Office, again on John R. Rice Boulevard. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. Yes, sir. Morning. I really enjoy it. Thank you. Coming up next, we've got a guest from the VA Hospital talking about a new career fair that is just around the corner. It will be held at the York VA Medical Center campus. So we'll tell you about that next on WGNS. 
The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. I'm Ken Coleman. Join me here on News Radio WGNS weekdays live at noon as we answer your questions about your calling, passion, and talent to maximize your potential. This morning, we're with Nicole Crum with the Veterans Administration and the VA Hospital. So when is this next nursing career fair going to take place and where? Our next nurse hiring fair is Thursday, March 23rd from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. at our Alvin C. York campus in Murfreesboro. At this fair, folks will know where to go when they drive onto the campus, when they take that main entrance off Memorial Boulevard or 231. When they turn in, there's going to be balloons up, there's going to be signs. It's going to be easy, right? Yes. We'll have a map on our website. We're going to be in Building 6, and there will be more signs and balloons to guide you that way. And again, this morning, we're talking about the VA Medical Center. And when it comes to the VA, those who work there, the nurses who are part of the different programs, they're working with these veterans one-on-one who have got years and years of stories. Give us a glimpse of what some of the stories are that you've run across or that different nurses have run across over the years. One of my favorite things about working at the VA is listening to our veterans talk about what they've seen over their lifetime. I think back to one particular patient. She was actually a fighter pilot in World War II and had enlisted as a male so that she could do so. You just hear interesting stories that every day I come into work to care for them, I get to learn something new about their life you form relationships with them this way because they always come back to get their care here. So you learn everything about them and what they've been through. It's fascinating because you're learning firsthand about history that unfolded over the years. It involves some of these folks who I would call heroes in a lot of cases who are there to get treatment. Right. I think it's easy to forget that the people that you walk with in your community and those that you take care of have sacrificed for you and they were willing to lay their life down for you and it's just such a humbling experience to take care of them now. I remember one man that I I ran across and I interviewed him. He was part of, I believe it was the Red Stone Arsenal or something along those lines, which was in Alabama. I think it's in the Huntsville area. And he was talking about how he participated in designing the Patriot missile. And you look back over the years, that was a missile that was used time and time again. But he was part of this huge historic project. Sometimes you see the veteran sitting in a hospital bed and you forget how strong and how capable they were in their past. Him, for example, he was from the World War II era. So he was taking part in something that was historic, first time breaking through technology. I mean, there's a lot of stories like that. Yes, and they have all seen so much over their lifetime and they love sharing it with us and we love to be able to hear it too. Another person I talked to, he talked about going to Camp David and it didn't used to be called Camp David and I never realized that. He said it used to be called Camp Shangri-La and he was talking about the different presidents he met while there, while on duty. So interesting. You told us a story last time you were here about 
one of the VA nurses who had been there, did you say for 50 years? Yes, almost 50 years. She is a staple at our Nashville campus. She's precepted, I would say, hundreds of nurses to follow in her footsteps and really care for these veterans and give them the best care they deserve. And then in addition to these stories that we're talking about, you've also got veterans from the Vietnam era, and they've got stories themselves. And some of those stories are, are quite sad. And those veterans talking just to the nurses who come in to work with them, it's almost a form of therapy just to get those words out, to talk about, to describe what they went through. I think sometimes when I have a veteran who's having a rough day, I mean, we see them at their worst. They're here to get care. The best thing that I can do for them is just sit with them and listen to what they have to say. And while having that title of nurse may mean a a certain set of things that you're doing day after day, you're much more than that. The veterans that come for our care quickly become family. You become their advocates. And some days after a hard day of advocating for a veteran that would otherwise not have a voice, I get in my car to go home and I just cry and I pray for them. And I know that they're taken care of here. And that's one of the most beautiful things about working here. And a hiring fair is coming up. And you've had quite a few hiring fairs over the last couple of months. I know one of the problems is during the whole COVID pandemic, you had a lot of nurses who were about that age of retirement or who were thinking about retirement and they went ahead and retired or they're in the process of retiring now. So you've got a lot of positions to fill. Right. The pandemic really changed healthcare altogether. And now we're filling in those gaps so that we can make sure we can meet the needs of our veteran population. Is there a website they can go to to get more information such as directions? You can go to our main VA website, TVHS Nurse Hiring Fairs, and you can also find follow us along on Facebook as well. On Facebook, what do they type in? TVHS, Tennessee Valley Healthcare System. I'm sure there's phone numbers on there if they want to call ahead of time. Yes, um, you can even leave a comment as well. We track those too. Again, we're talking with Nicole Crum this morning, talking about VA hiring fairs. And VA hiring fairs over the last few months have been taking place at both the York VA Medical Campus in Murfreesboro, and then also the main Nashville campus, which is near Vanderbilt Medical Center. Again, more hiring fairs coming up just around the corner. What exactly are you looking for in the nursing field? We're looking to hire registered nurses, licensed practical nurses, and nursing assistants for both our Nashville and Murfreesboro locations. One of the really big things that I think will impress a lot of people is the potential of a hiring bonus. How does that work? Yes, we are offering sign-on bonuses up to $20,000 for our highly qualified applicants. That's amazing. So up to $20,000 for qualified applicants. Correct. So you come to one of our hiring fairs and you'll learn about our job openings. You could even be interviewed and you may receive a job offer on the spot. If a job offer is extended, you'll be able to go ahead and get some of your pre-employment tasks done. And again, we're talking with Nicole Crum this morning from the Tennessee Valley Healthcare System about these upcoming job fairs for specifically nurses in a variety of categories. There is something so special about being a VA nurse, and it comes along with benefits as well, other than just serving the best population out there. We have unbeatable health insurance benefits, scholarship opportunities, and great retirement. We have a great work-life balance with five weeks of paid time off a year. And in addition to that, we get sick leave that actually comes from a separate bank of your leave. We offer weekend differentials of 25% and night shift differentials of 10%. And with that, we also have 11 paid holidays. 
So for some positions, is there the potential of going even back to school to further your education or you want a specialty that you want to focus on? Are there chances to go back to school? Absolutely. We offer scholarships for nurses looking to advance from associates to bachelors and from bachelors to masters as well. Again, this career fair is coming up on the York VA Medical Center campus in Murfreesboro. And once more, the date is March the 23rd. And between what time? This is going to be from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m.